soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. He's no less personal with someone else than he wants to be with you and I, for he knows the hairs on our head. And once you get stripped Pharaoh down away from his entourage and his yes men that can't solve these, these deeper issues of life because they're on this side of the, 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 the line for eternity, it's just Pharaoh before the Lord. That's how Paul could stand before Agrippa. You stand before the Herods. You could stand before Caesar. And Festus and Felix and governors and powerful people. And Paul didn't blink because he, he knew the Lord's the final authority and he knew it was all about the Lord. That's how we want to be. The last thing he said here to Pharaoh in verse 32 is, because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. And we would say yes and amen to the second coming as well. The things God has spoken about his return, they're established and they're going to come to pass. There's not one rebellious heart on this planet that can keep the Lord Jesus Christ from coming back in his glory for his church, with his church, to establish his kingdom. There's no Pharaoh on this planet. There's no Cleopatra. There's no one that can stop it. Any more than they can stop the grave and the law of entropy working against them between now and his return. He's the final authority. Joseph is respectful of Pharaoh. He's not disrespectful. Certainly you can see that in the text. But he reminds Pharaoh, hey, God showed you. And God showed you. God has shown Pharaoh. He's, three times he brings God in the conversation. God has shown you, Pharaoh. God has shown you, Pharaoh. God has shown you, Pharaoh. And it will come to pass what he said. It's a good witness. Joseph's got a great witness. Verse 33, we read on. From the prison to the palace. Verse 33, now therefore, let Pharaoh, so he's got the dream, the interpretation of the dream, now we have the application. Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities that the food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will be in the land of Egypt that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in a garment of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah 
And he gave him his wife, Asnath, the daughter of Pat-Parah, the priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And just like that, it flipped in one day. In one day. It all flipped in just one day. Judah sold his brother for 20 shekels of silver. (laughs) The man who's going to run the world. His brothers despised him, were full of jealousy, denied his dreams that came from the Lord, resented him, undervalued him, and had no concept at all the greatness. They had no concept at all the greatness that was in their brother from the Lord. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see the potential. They couldn't see the calling. Hey, just a side note, don't make that mistake when you look at anyone else. We need to see the potential of God's greatness in every person we ever look at. Wherever God sends you, to the ends of the earth or to your neighbor next door, we need to see the potential of God's greatness in every human being that we look at and consider what God might do in and through their lives if their lives become yielded to the Lord, even as Joseph's was. But it's ironic that it's Pharaoh, who's a businessman at the highest level, who does recognize the value of Joseph. He recognizes what his brothers could not recognize. His brothers, who are the patriarchs, they're the sons that become the 12 tribes. They can't recognize God's greatness and call on their brother's life, or they can and they resent it and sell him for 20 seconds of silver to Ishmaelite traders to be a slave. They throw him under the bus. And here, Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world, he looks at Joseph and says, hey, I never heard of you today, but guess what? Here's my signet ring. I know greatness when I see it because I see the spirit of God in you. And in all my court, who has the wisdom you have? Not only have you interpreted the dream, you have a plan to execute something that offsets the disaster of the dream that actually is something for good based upon your application. I recognize your value and I'm immediately promoting you from being director of my prison to director of my entire palace and kingdom. It's an incredible story if you really think about this. And it should encourage us. Because God sees our faithfulness in the little things. And again, to him, to her who has, more will be given. And it's about faithful stewardship and faithfulness with the Lord. And it doesn't matter if we ever seem like there's a a fullness being paid off of our investment of being faithful in a job, in a relationship, in a society, amongst a people group, for a timeline. Because I can guarantee us tonight that the faithfulness and the little things in time will most certainly be rewarded for all eternity. Because Jesus himself said in there in Matthew with the parable of the minas that the one who had five that made ten and the one that had two that made four they enter into much more responsibility. And the context of that in Matthew 25 is bookended by him talking about his return with the ten virgins and his return with the good fish and the bad fish and the separation of the sheep and the goats. The entire chapter deals with the second coming of Christ and accountability to Christ. And there between verses 13 and 30 with the parable of the minus, he makes clear that the one who has more will be given to him for all eternity. So what I'm telling you is in your faithfulness in time, you might get the payoff like Joseph here does in Pharaoh's palace, 
But if you don't know this, when we step into eternity, you will get the payout for your faithfulness in time. And eternity is going to look a lot different than what we think it's going to look like. I'm quite certain of that. Because all those people that seem so obscure or neglected or off the grid or off the radar that are faithfully serving the Lord without accolades or praise of men, even a pat on the back, those people are ruling and reigning in the kingdom. And many people who blow their own horn, sound their own trumpet in religion's name or in Jesus' name in self-promotion or whatever, or without Jesus blow their trumpet they will be fortunate with Jesus to be in the kingdom. And those, of course, that are cast out are cast out and they're a distant memory like civilizations that are buried under 20 feet of dirt in the Middle East right now that no one even remembers. They came and they went and who remembers their story. I mean, Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes. Solomon is 3,000 years ago. And he's saying, kingdoms come, kingdoms go. No one even remembers them. Who even remembers it? He said that 3,000 years ago about the kingdoms that came before him. That's what we think of his kingdom now. Jerusalem has like 17 layers if you go to it. Jerusalem has been burnt and re Like when you go to Jerusalem, there's layers and layers and layers. But this is our timeline. And our faithfulness for our timeline and what God's created us to do, there's a reward for that in our faithful stewardship. We may not ever rule in, in Pharaoh's court. We may never have the most powerful person in the world hand us a signet ring, his credit card, his line of credit, and say, run the world. In fact, I seriously doubt we will. But we might have some similar things in our world and how we see things that might happen where you get promotion. Promotion comes from the Lord. You might not get promotion. But we don't do things as unto men. We do things as unto the Lord. And you might spend your whole life in prison being faithful. But wait till you get to the kingdom because there's no greater palace than the palace of the kingdom. The presence of the king. The king of kings, right? The story of Joseph is just such a reminder in this particular part of the story that it'll all flip in one day. And for those that are faithful in time, space, and matter and endure injustices and stay the course of being faithful unto the Lord and not making excuses for failure, but growing and learning in their journey, when they step into eternity, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant, and he will entrust more to us. And what he entrusts to us is never taken away from us because we don't do the redo on what time and temporal establishes for all eternity. Once it's in eternity, it's locked in. There's no redo. It is what it is in a whole other dimension. And eyes not seen nor ear heard those things that he's prepared for those who love him. And he's revealing those things to us by the gospel. And as we're being transformed from glory to glory, spending time with the Lord, as in a mirror, it says there in 2 Corinthians, when Paul saw the third heaven, the presence of the Lord, he could not describe it to us. So by faith, which it always is, we receive these things, we believe these things, and it's our faith in the coming glory that pushes us and spurs us and encourages us to make the right decisions in stewardship and faithfulness on this side of the timeline. On this side of the timeline, we live like we're already in that next side of the timeline, and then when we transcend it, we're just entering into glory. When you step into eternity, when I step into eternity through faith in Jesus Christ, we literally pass from the prison to the palace. We literally pass from the prison to the palace. This corruptible must put on incorruptible. Paul said to live is Christ, but die is gain. That is going from the prison to the palace. That's what it means to live for Christ. We, we go with everything we got for the kingdom 
until we breathe our last, and then we're in the palace. And to be living for any other reason is not to be living at all. Because Jesus said he came that we might have life and that more abundantly. And abundant life is in living for eternal life for the king. And all the little distractions, the cares of this life that choke out the good seed, all the persecutions that we wilt back from that make us shrink because we don't have our deep root, all the little things that get ripped out of our heart because we didn't have faith and trust in the Lord and we let the devil rip those things out of our heart, they, it's our loss. It is up for us to accept the responsibility to passionately pursue the Lord in our own best interest as servants of the king. And you can't make your spouse see the day of the Lord, and you can't make your children see the day of the Lord. You can't make your parents see the day of the Lord. But you can sure wake up in the morning and say, I see the day of the Lord. And you can choose to pursue. We can choose to pursue with everything we got, the day of the Lord. If we're in the prison, we're in the prison. If we're in the palace with the signet ring, whatever it is, we, we choose to do what's right and be faithful. So we think about going from the prison to the palace when he got to the palace, it was so obvious that the Lord was with him. That Pharaoh said, this is an amazing young man. The Spirit of God is with this man. And so, as we think about our journey, we want people to look at our lives and look at your life and my life and say, the Spirit of God is with this woman. The Spirit of God is with this woman. And they, might even, they don't know the Lord, but they're like, you know, there, there's the Spirit of God. This is a Spirit-filled woman. This is a spirit-filled man. And if it's, a, if it's a high place in the palace, okay. If it's just being faithful in the prison, okay. But be a spirit-filled woman. Be a spirit-filled man. Because then when you're caught up to the palace, whether it's the ultimate palace or some palace here on earth, you're not caught off guard. You don't have to change who you are. You don't have to look for something and create something, manufacture something like, oh, I'm in the palace. What do I do? It's like you are who you are. When you're a spirit-filled woman, you are the spirit-filled woman in the prison and you're a spirit-filled woman in the palace on the same day. You are who you are. And it's the same for the spirit-filled man. You are who you are. You're not trying to manufacture it or impress somebody or anything. Like, hey, I'm nothing. It's not of me, but the Lord is good. And he will give you the dream, the interpretation. Hey, he's talking to you, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's like, hey, he's with you, Joseph. You want a job? I'd like to run the entire company. But the way up with the Lord is always down. For for honor comes humility. Before promotion comes demotion. Because otherwise, if he just raises us up, there's no character, there's no depth, and we train wreck it. Look at all those kings in the Old Testament who get power and they just train wreck it. They can't listen to prophets. They, 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 they lose all common sense. They go into the temple going like, I'm king, I can be a priest. They're like, no, you can't. And they get leprosy and they end their, life, their reign in exile, like Uriah. no. That brokenness that God gives from the pit to the false accusations to the prison, that's part of the process so that when you're in the palace, you're ready to be that person that you're meant to be on the day of the palace. It is, in fact, the journey of afflictions and trials and tribulations in time, space, and matter that prepare us for the glory of service and honor with the king for all eternity. It's the journey that prepares us for the destination and you say, why do I suffer and go through afflictions and false accusations when people don't serve the Lord, don't go through those same things? Well, maybe they do, but if they don't, God's not preparing them for eternity. They're not part of his plan. You're part of the plan. It's kind of like parents. I don't try and parent other people's kids. I invest my parenting in my children. 
and I love little kids, but I'm investing my grandparenting in my grandchildren. That's, how, that's my wheelhouse. That's my stewardship. The last thing we see here is in verse 47. So we see that from the prison to the palace, that it's not in him, it's the Lord. That when he's speaking to Pharaoh, he's got the boldness of the Lord, and he's reminding Pharaoh that God's personal with Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh says, you know, the Spirit of God is with you, and so it's all going good, and he's given the full authority to do everything on behalf of everybody because a spiritful woman, a spiritful man is hard to find, and when you find one, they're the ones that should be in charge because they're the ones that have the mind of the Lord. In verse 47, we read this. Now, in the seventh plentiful years, the ground brought up forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid it up in every city, the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asnath, the daughter of uh, Patipariah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. And as Joseph had said, the famine was in all the land, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt, so all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. Joseph, a spirit-filled man, is not only going to save his own... Well, he's going to save Egypt. He saves his own family that's up in the promised land, and he saves other nations. That's what spirit-filled women and men do. They, they save other people. At the end of his life, Joseph's going to say, you guys meant it for evil, but God meant it, meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. That's what spirit-filled women and men do. They save other people. They save their lives. They, they make a difference in their lives. Carnal people are gravitational. That's all about them. But spirit-filled women, spirit-filled men, they, they're about the Lord, and they save other people. Their actions are based upon serving and blessing other people. And their priorities are to grow and mature in their faith through the life experiences, be it good, bad, or ugly. Which brings us to the final thing here. The reason Joseph could be in charge of running the whole country is in the very names that he gives his children. Because in that 13 years from when he is thrown in the pit as a senior in high school by his brothers and betrayed and sold for 20 pieces of silver to being falsely accused of attempted rape for which he served years in prison unjustly. He never changed who he was. He says, God has made me forget the toil of my father's house. The crying that his brothers will describe in a couple chapters of him pleading for them not to do it to him, he's going to forget it. What does forgiveness do? It forgets. It just lets go. So far as he's just from the West, so far as he removed our sins from us, it says of the Lord. Just forget like it never was. That's what God does with our sins. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Just forget it. We 
can try and forgive people in our own strength, but it's much better to cry out to the Lord and ask him to fill us with his spirit to help us forgive people in his strength. And Jesus holds us accountable to forgive others, even as he's forgiven us. And in that 13-year journey between the pit, Potiphar's house, and the prison to the palace, what made this man so great and what makes men of God and women of God so great is their willingness to humble themselves before the Lord and to forgive those who have treated them unjustly and unfairly. And I say this fairly often, but the three great equities of life with the king of kings is purity, suffering, and forgiveness. Those are three equities that are always in with the kingdom of God. Purity, afflictions, and forgiving others. And to the degree that we invest in those things that reflect the character and the heart of God and the nature of God, it is to our benefit. Before the crown, there must be a cross. And Jesus came and bore a cross and rode in on a donkey. It's cold. But when he comes back with the crown on the white horse, that's the fullness. But we're told in Hebrews that he learned things, if you will, in the context of time as the son before the father, as he suffered and endured unjustly for our sins. Before the crown, there is a cross. And however it is we get on the cross, whatever it is that happens to us on the cross, that's part of the process to prepare us for all eternity. We cannot get to the end of our life and say that we've not forgiven or we're filled with wrath and bitterness, but we need to start calling our children and grandchildren, the Lord made me forget the toil of my father's house. I've completely forgotten. I've let it go what they did to me and that heartache. That's who we need to be. We have to forgive. And it's not in us to forgive, but if we cry out to the Lord to fill us with his spirit, to be spirit-filled men like Joseph, the love of God shed on our broad in our hearts, Romans 5 tells us, by the Holy Spirit. And therein we can forgive. Spirit-filled women can forgive. Spirit-filled men can forgive. Carnal men do not forgive, and carnal women do not forgive. But spirit-filled men and women can forgive and forget the toil. Let it go. Make it an offering. Give it to the Lord. Manasseh, God may forget. And then Ephraim, He's caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. See, in the end, we need to let the affliction work in our life to make us fruitful. Because that's the end objective. Afflictions and injustices that make us fruitful. The greatest testimonies, even the world esteems testimonies, of people who have suffered unjustly and what they can bring forth from that. We don't esteem shallow people. We esteem people who have endured great injustices and the ability to forgive others for that and made a world a better place. Now, people do that this side of time. It only benefits the temporal. But the greatest people do it this side of time where it benefits all eternal, all the eternity. And so the real route from the prison to the palace is what is going on in our heart. And when you name your children, I forgive, and I've been fruitful in affliction, the journey did exactly what it was intended to do. God allowed these things for you to be crucified, and you received it as a woman of God and as a man of God, and the world's a better place because of it. And now when you stand before Pharaoh, you say, you know what, it's not in me. 
but it is in my God. And that's what you learn on the cross. And that's what you learn in the afflictions and the trials and the heartache is that, man, it's the Lord. And there are no shortcuts. We must be women of character. We must be men of depth. And that only comes through the afflictions. And would to God, as we move toward eternity, me being one of the oldest people in this room, that as we go before you and your children and your children's children and my children's children in the IT room right now, that as we move toward eternity and we're in assisted living or in memory care, that we can say we don't remember and we forget all the toil and we have been fruitful in our afflictions. That's how we want to be. That's how we need to be. That's the only way to be. There are no other alternatives that are worth living for. That's the one we want. You don't just get the signet ring from the king to rule everything without learning the lessons in those journeys of affliction. But if you learn them, you're ready for the glorious day of the Lord for all eternity. And that's what we learned from Joseph tonight. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.